Our scripture reading today is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 41 through 46. And our message today is entitled, Grace in the Midst of Rebellion. Grace in the Midst of Rebellion. This is the Lord's word. Then you answered me, We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, Say to them, Do not go up or fight, for I I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. (laughs) It's wonderful to see all of you here again. It's, It's a great privilege to see that God is working. And he's working in all of you. There are times in your life that you don't see God working in you. There are times in your life that you mistake changes in circumstances as being God drawing, him, drawing you near him or God pushing you away. And there are times in your life that God blesses you immensely and you sense his loving closeness in your life sense of your sufferings and your sins are right before you. And somehow by God's spirit, the sense of his overwhelming forgiveness and love for you is palpable. You wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is you think about the Lord and his grace in your life. You're eager to read scripture. You're eager to see what words that God has for you and eager to see what God is doing before you go to sleep. The last thing you think about is God's provision for that day. And your life is full. But for many of us, there are times when life is difficult, when life is hard. And there's times in your life when you know that you are rebelling against God. That you are purposely walking away from him. That you purposely understand who he is and you turn and you run. I recall when I was in seminary, I was living with... uh, one of my best friends, I'm not going to give his name because this is being recorded, but he was having a hard time with the Lord, a really hard time. 
And in fact, I, I took him to uh, a counseling at, uh, at CCEF, and he actually got counseled by David Paulson for a good uh, uh, six months um, to, to, to see what was wrong. But he, he had issues with God. And I remember one day he told me, he said, we were in Philadelphia, and he said, me and my best friend from childhood, who's not enjoying his work at all in, in South Carolina, we're moving to Los Angeles. And I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean you're losing to Los Angeles? And she, he said to me, basically, you know, I'm living with you. You're, you're a seminary student. You're, you're, you talk about God all the time. <laughs> I went to CCF, and I, I'm listening to, to, to David Paulson trying to counsel me. And I go to this church where everyone is trying to help me grow in Christ. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm running away. I am running away. So his friend in South Carolina sold everything, um, brought his car up with a U-Haul truck. He sold his own car. And whatever he left, had left, he put in the U-Haul truck. And, and, and then he was gone. They drove out to L.A. without a plan. No job, nowhere to stay. In fact, later on when he called me on his, uh, we didn't have cell phones, but he, he called me up. He said, yeah, I, I, uh, we just found the first, we just uh, rented the first apartment that we saw. Now there's a lot of things that happened afterwards. But he was running away. There are times in your life that you are running away from God and you know it. But there's a graciousness in that running away. For God often allows you to go so far so that you will see your need of his grace and that you will see that his grace has always been there. You see, when God has chosen you and picked you up, when God has chosen to wrap his hands around you, when he has bestowed upon you his Holy Spirit, when you know in your heart that you're a child of God and you're rebelling against him, that's a sign of his covenant love for you. And once that covenant love there is for you. It's like him saying to you, my relationship with you, here's this huge rubber band right over you. You're mine. But he lets you run away. But you, all, you guys all know how rubber bands work, right? The further you run away, the harder the snapback is. But the Lord allows you and there's grace in that rebellion. But don't get me wrong. God would prefer you not to rebel. God would prefer you to run to him first. God would prefer you to run to him, cry on his shoulder, yell at him, accuse him, but to accuse him in his arms. And to allow his grace and his mercy to change you. But just like my friend, some of you are running. And we see in this passage 
what God has done to a whole generation of Israels, Israelites. And this passage is a, 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 a small um, link between what happened before and what happened afterwards. Some of you may know this story. The story is that, you know, Moses and the Israelites have come out of Egypt, right? And, and God has saved them from slavery. And they, and they crossed the Red Sea. And we know that the Pharaoh and his army chased after them. And the waters covered them. And, and all of a sudden, the, the Israelites were free. And God had promised them that this land, that's the land I had given to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's the land that I will give unto you. It's a promise I made to you. I want you to go up and take it. And as Moses sort of recounts the history of what is happening, he, he says to the second generation who, who did, not, or did not experience or does, doesn't remember experience crossing the Red Sea, he says to them, remember that your parents' generation was told to go forth and, and take the land. And then some of you say, you know what, let's send out some scouts to, to scout out the place before we go. And they say, okay, that, that's a good idea. So they sent out scouts, Joshua and some other two, two men. They, they sent them out. They came back and they said, we can't take this land. Yes, it's flowing with milk and honey. Yes, it's a good land. But the people are big. <laughs> the people are powerful. Who are we? We're a ragtag bunch of people who just ran as fast as we can out of slavery. We're not professional soldiers. And they rebelled. And they said, we're not going. And the fury of God was upon them for their disobedience. Now we in retrospect can look at that and go, you, you're, you're dummies. You dummies. You're, you're the generation that saw a pillar of fire and smoke. You're the generation that saw near the, 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 the ten plagues. You're the, the generation who saw with your own eyes heard with your own ears, smell with your own noses, all that God had done. And if God can, can free you from Egypt and destroy chariots chasing after you, free you from one of the most, the most dominant um, empires of that day, what are a few Amorites living in, in Palestine? And we can look at that and say, what, what is wrong with them? It is unreasonable for someone who's experienced God's grace like that to not trust God in the subsequent taking of a land of a people who are not even as powerful as the Egyptians. We, we, we know from, from, from ancient history that, that that land of Palestine was always in between the empires of Egypt and the Assyrian Empire and later on the Babylonian Empire. And they would always go back and forth taking over Palestine, back and forth. It, it, it was nothing. It was just a trade route. And the foolishness. The 
of rebellion. But the foolishness goes on. And tell me if, if, this, is, if this sounds familiar to perhaps in your own life. They, they sort of come to their senses and they go, oh, you're right. God is good. We, we, we've, we've rebelled against God. Okay, let's, let's get our stuff together. Let's get, let's, let's get our swords and our shields and let's go and get them. Let's go and get them. And they get ready and they go and God said, wait, you can't go now. Now I'm not with you. And they're stubborn. And they go, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, God. We, we rebelled against you by not going. And you promised that. We'll go, we'll go. And God said, no, no, I don't want you to go now. What do they do? They go. And they get defeated. And God is angry again. Does this sound like you or me? Have you ever done that? I've done this lots of times where, where you know, my, my mother or someone will ask me, you know, take the dishes out of the dishwasher or something. I go, no, no I don't want to do it. And then later I go, oh, no, no. And they go, well, why aren't you doing it? You, you, you argue back and forth, and later on you go, okay, I'll do it. And I'll say to you, no, don't do it now. <laughs> don't do it now. I don't want you to do it now. I want you to do something else. No, no, I'll do it now. No, don't do it now. I need you to do something else. And you're and, and you're like, this is, this is silly. It's like, the, it's like the Israelites. like, no, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And, and it's, it's too hard. And God gets angry at them. And they go, oh, okay. Okay, I'll go. go God, no, I don't want you to go now. And, and you just anger God. You, you anger your, your parents. You anger your spouse. You anger whoever it is. Rebellion. At the, the heart of of us as God's people. Now Moses again is addressing the second generation, telling them, recounting the history of what God has been doing or had done with the previous generation. He's trying to get into the minds of these people who are about to take the promised land of what their parents' generation did wrong and what they need to do there's a couple of things here that, that I want you to see. One, we must never forget that God is a God of justice. And that God is a God that when he is wronged or when he is trifled with, has every right to pour out judgment. God is not a Pollyannish God, right? A God who just sort of takes everything and just says, yeah, yeah, you're, you're still forgiven. Yeah, 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 you can do what you want. But he's a God who exacts judgment and does so justly. You might look at this rebellion and say, oh, okay, God's going to allow this first generation to go in. That's no big deal. But what does God say? God says this generation that has seen all these miracles, they are not going to the promised land. They will wander and they will die. Only Joshua gets to go. There's a humbleness and a fearfulness that is right 
for the eyes of God's people. That when we come here to worship God, it's not a spectacle or a show for us to feel good. It is not simply a time for us to allow our hearts to feel at rest. Although God does that. But the posture of worship always starts with understanding that God is to be feared and not trifled with. And so for us as God's people, if we just sort of just stand back here living in the light of Christ himself, Paul tells us that our duty is to, is to, is to, is to obey God's commandments by bearing fruit. That we are to, to give up sort of shallow talk that we are to, to give up murdering and, and hatred, that we are to help those who can't help themselves, that we are to love, sacrifice with one another. And for us, our obedience to God comes from mercy, but... There's an aspect in our lives that I think is very healthy that we obey God out of a rightful reverence and fear for who He is and to understand that His holiness must surpass must surpass any of our own inclinations of what is right and what is wrong. See, just like these people. It wasn't so much about whether they took the land or didn't take the land with their particular time. It was more about will they listen to God and obey him even if they don't understand why. Even if in the face of danger, <coughs> they feel unsafe. To follow him. Holiness of God. His justice. But the second thing we understand here in this passage that we as God's people see from the, from the light of, uh, of, of being believers in Christ is that even in the midst of this rebellion, there's grace. You might wonder, where, where, where is this grace in this? A whole generation has been wiped out. A whole generation. Hear that, a whole generation they wandered 40 years until they died. But where is the grace in this? The grace is here. You see, the, the, the purpose of all of redemptive history, the history of what God is doing, is so that one day, 
one day through history that God's plan of redemption will come to fruition. And we see that, that this second generation that was waiting, that we know that in the, in the, in the midst of all of this, the troubles and the struggles, God still gave them the land. God still entered with Israel, defeated the Amorites, and gave them the land. And you might say, that's a great story. So eventually, they win, right? Hold on there. We know later on in history, as you, as you read First and Second Kings, that eventually the the land divides the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. We know that the, the northern kingdoms, the, northern, the Assyrians and the Babylonians eventually come down and destroy it and, and, and just take everyone to captivity and the land is no longer theirs. And you see, the, the history of the Old Testament of Deuteronomy, the whole history is not simply that first generation failed and rebelled. The whole history of the Old Testament is that everyone rebelled and failed. Everyone. At the end of the Old Testament, where, where are we? Well, they, they've come back to the land of Israel, but it's, it's nothing. There's a few remnant people coming back. They rebuilt the temple. They try to rebuild the walls, but it's it's lost its luster. It's lost its glory. In fact, later on, just in history, not so much in what we have in Scripture, but we know that the Romans come and they, they take over. And so the question isn't so much like you know, that this rebellion of this one people, it's, it's, it's unjust, or the rebellion of this one people, it's, it's, it's ugly. No, it's not the rebellion of them. It's the rebellion of all people. That all of us have failed God. That all of us, if we, if we look at the entirety of the Old Testament, all of us have fallen short. That there's not one of us who could declare to God that I've been obedient to God. And there's not one of us who can say that we, we've done well to earn God's favor. But that all of us have fallen short. Now, if this is your first time here and, and you're hearing this message and some of you might be saying, well, this is, this is a lot to, to take in. You know, Pastor Young, you're, you're telling us that the history of the Bible is basically that we're, we're all failures. And that's, that's not good news. You know, it's... I actually like this postmodern, post-Christian society that we live in. I actually like it. I like it for two reasons. One, personally, it matches my temperament. Um, my temperament is more of, of inwardness. My temperament is more of being just sullen all the time. I mean, that's, that's, that's who I am. But that's, I don't know why I brought that up. But the other part I like about this post-Christian, post-modern society is, is that 
um, you understand how difficult life really is. You understand brokenness, how broken things are. And in fact, talking with some of my colleagues, they say that, they told me that, you know, amongst millennials, it's sort of kind of cool, it's sort of kind of cool to be depressed. It's sort of kind of cool to understand how bad life is. It's sort of kind of cool to be able to, to share with other people how difficult things are in your life. And I said, really? I said, how do you do that? And, and one of my colleagues said to me, it's because, you know, the, the only other thing you can do is just fake being happy. And no one is truly really happy. Scripture addresses that by showing us here in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament that the reason for our sullenness, our brokenness, is, is not so much because of just that's the way things are, but it's because we were made actually not to be broken, but to be whole. We were made to thrive in, in this world. We were made to, to, to share with one another of the goodness of, what, of who God is and the goodness of life that he's given us. That was supposed to be our baseline, not, not, not what we have now. And so the story goes on. That, that the way that God fixes all of history is not through sort of more events or histories of, of peoples, but unbelievably through just one person. We as Christians, we, we believe that in the person of Jesus Christ, that this one man who came to earth, that in his perfect life, that he embodied all of what Israel, all of what God commanded his people to be like. But whereas the generations before all failed, Jesus succeeded. And I know you might say, how can one person change all of history? How can one person have such a grand effect on all things? The Bible teaches us that Jesus is not simply one man. Because that's true. If it's simply one man, one man can't fix all of this. But this Jesus was not simply man, but he was God. And as God, his life, he lived a life that God expected him to live. That as God, he understood what was happening in the life of men. 
he knew that the only way to make this history into good history is to wipe out all of the wrongs and sins in the past. We hear this all the time, right? If we can just forgive each other, let's just all forgive each other. And you might know people who, who are really sort of really into that and say, you know, no matter what happens, just forgive. Let's just forgive and love. If we just all forgive and love and let bygones be bygones, this will be a great world. And in fact, some of you who are in, in college, you're like, I thought college was going to be like that. It's not like that. I thought getting to the adult world and the corporate life or wherever I am, that people would be more mature. And, no, it's not like that. And you, you wish, you know, if, if we could just all love each other and just forgive each other and, you know, forgive my life, but just suck it up and just, just go and... We can't do it. You can't do it. You think you can, but you can't. But what if I told you that Jesus, who came to earth, has done exactly that? He's taken your sins. He's taken your frustrations. He's forgiven you. And he's restored you. And he's given you life. And he wants to show you just how grand it is to be walking with him. My friend who moved out to Los Angeles because he wasn't bound to follow Jesus for a while he did what he needed to do to get a job he did what he needed to do to, to be successful and in many ways according to the world he was but the times when we would write to one another call one another up he would I would always ask him, how are you doing with God? He still would say, we're still not talking. <laughs> I loved him. He said, we're still not talking. And I would always say to him, he's still talking to you? And he goes, I know, I know, stop it. That's the kind of friendship we have. But then there was that one day where that rubber band snapped back. Sorry, special effects doesn't work. And he realized that in the midst of his rebellion, in the midst of his waywardness, God was always there. So if you're a Christian who's wandering, and you know you're wandering, that rubber band will never break. You may not like to hear that. <laughs> it's like, I want it to break. It will never break. It'll bring you back. 
if this is the first time you're hearing this and, and God is sort of working in you, I say to you, God is here and loves you in the midst of all your rebellion, in the midst of all your sins, in the midst of all your brokenness. You only need to look through the Old Testament to see the history of brokenness, rebellion, willful sin. And God is still there through his son, Jesus. So let's rejoice and follow him.